Rocco Dean. Or what was it that uh, Mr. Gay called you? Dean Rocky? <laughs> Dino Rocco. Dino yeah, Rocco. Mr. Ray Gay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because you mentioned oh, how you were, you were put out of business because of the turnstiles becoming automated. So you would work at Elland Road as a teenager yes. and a young adult. What were the perks of that? Oh, well, the perks were getting paid to watch Leeds, um, living the dream. So, yeah, I got 25 quid a, a game um, for going and being uh, being on the turnstile. Uh, but, yeah, the downside was having to spend about 20 minutes. The first 20 minutes of the game, I would be counting my ticket stubs and they had to match um, the, the amount of clicks on the turnstile. Oh so you couldn't, God. you weren't allowed to leave and go into the ground until you'd correctly counted up all your ticket stubs. Um, so yeah, so I did that for um, probably well just under a full season. I started um, yeah in about October, I think, of the season that we actually got relegated. Yeah, I wasn't going to mention what happened at the uh, end of the two thousand three four season because um, yeah, 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 but uh, yeah, so at the end of the season they uh, yeah they, they went for the automated turnstile and put me out of a job. Yeah, which. To be honest, I wasn't too bothered. At the end of the season, because obviously each game was so critical, it was becoming a real bind, uh, you know, missing the first 20 minutes. And actually, we played Wolves in a, in a six-pointer. And I remember getting into the ground. I got into the cop um, after about 20 minutes. And uh, and Leeds scored. And I thought it was one-all. Um, <laughs> and it got to half-time. And the announcer like, announces that Leeds are 2-1 up. And, I, I, you know, I haven't heard the crowd cheering for whatever reason while I was, you know, counting my stubs. And that, yeah, I was just absolutely shocked. So when it came to the last day, the last home game um, against Portsmouth, or well, the last critical game, we we had to win that game. It was a, a crunch game, and I just couldn't afford to miss the first twenty minutes. So I, uh, yeah, I was, I was a bit naughty, and I just flashed my badge and walked straight into the cop without without doing my daily duty. That is worse um, than the stewards at the Euro <laughs> final. That is far worse. <laughs> I know, I know, I'm surprised I didn't get, uh, get, didn't get jumped on. Um, but no, the, uh, the, uh, the football gods had the last laugh because as soon as I took my seat, Yakubu scored and, uh, and we got relegated. And I am duty-bound because this goes out at the beginning of October. 3-0, do you remember 3-0? Do you remember 3-0? Ah, yes, I remember it. I remember it, Johnny. Thanks for bringing that one we up. We beat you in uh, the tunnel, famously. JJ Demerit, Darius Henderson uh, and Leeds yeah. did not go up that season, 2006-07. No. Instead, it was a decade of terrible players, bewildering managers and despicable owners. Do you want to have some fun? <laughs> We must say also that you have, um, it's been quite a sad year for Leeds United. Terry Cooper passed away a few days ago. You've also yeah. lost Jack Charlton. Oh gosh, there's lots, uh, lots of players have passed away. Yeah, Norman Hunter. Norman Hunter. Yeah, God, it's, it's, uh, I, I but, hate having to, having to recall them. Yeah. But Trevor one, Cherry, uh, there's been six, six yeah. in the last 18 months. And, and even before that, um, you know, in the last three years, we, we also had um, Paul Maidley. Um, he, he died just, just after uh, Bielsa took over. So, yeah, we've lost seven full-blown legends from the Revy era. Um, it's, yeah, it's been just been awful. Just, yeah, one after another like that. It's, yeah, horrible, horrible time. Henry Winter loves to go to Leeds because when he was growing up, Leeds were Leeds. Now they're Leeds. Yeah, I'm sure yeah. that he will be at Man U Leeds 
And there will be a lot of applause, and then there'll be the first home game as well. Uh, but the manager who took Leeds down in 2004 also wrote the foreword to your book. How exhilarating is it that Marcello Bielsa versus the Damned United has 500 words from Eddie Gray? Uh, it's, it's an absolute honour. Um, I can't even say. I mean, Eddie Gray is, is Leeds United royalty. Um, he's done everything at the club, 20 years as a player, you know, manager twice. Um, you know, he's done all the other jobs as well, coach, youth coach, uh, assistant manager, uh, commentator on Radio Leeds, ambassador. He, he's just a, a, a full-blown legend of the club in, in every way. Um, so to have him do the forward was unbelievable. I, I went to school with his son, um, oh, so I, I approached his son to see if, if Eddie would be willing to read my book and, and if he liked it, then... then yeah, put the forward on it, and uh, yeah, thankfully he, he read it and he, he enjoyed it, and he did it. I was absolutely blown away. It was it was just just astonishing, especially you know for someone who's you know never you know never wrote a book before. You know I'm, I'm not a writer as such. I've got no no reputation or, or you know past experience in it. You know just completely off the cuff that I wrote this thing. Um, yeah, for, for to have someone like Eddie put his name to it, it was it was absolutely phenomenal. I was over the moon. Yeah. And did you write it in between feeds? Because uh, you open the book by saying it's dedicated to your wife, Frankie, and your son, Alessandro. So was it yeah. written in a period when you were a dad or just before? Yeah, just before. So um, I started writing it. Um, it was about the March of the first season. So Leeds had just be. I'd, I'd just found out that I was going to be a dad for the first time. And then Leeds played Millwall and... Um, it, this was sort of the beginning of the run-in and, and Leeds were 2-1 down and they scored two late goals. Pablo Hernandez basically won the match on his own. It was an unbelievable match and, and Sheffield United lost as well the same day so it put Leeds back in the ascendancy. And um, I just thought, you know, I, I'm going to try and just document this season because it's been so amazing. I wanted, I wanted to do it for myself as well but also I wanted my son to sort of know the story of of what Bielsa was doing and you know whatever was going to happen that season I knew it wouldn't be the end you know I was fully confident that this was the start of the the resurrection of Leeds United so yeah I, I just I sort of wrote it just off the cuff um you know over a couple of weeks and I sent it to I sent it to Bielsa about a year later so I, when I was writing it I, you know, I realized that it was good and I remember sort of sending it to my dad and saying oh you know dad I wrote this, read it, you know, what do you think? Um, you know, I think it's really good. And, and he thought it was fantastic. Uh, so I sent it to, he told me when lockdown started to send it to Bielsa, you know, because, hey, you might read it. And uh, and then lo and behold, he, he turned up on my doorstep uh, with uh, with presents of thanks for, for me sending him what was at the time. It was just the, the, the story of the first season. So, yeah, from there, it really inspired me to, yeah, sort of... The paper uh, blessing. Uh, yeah, so I sort of spent the whole of lockdown thereafter, not rewriting it, but sort of, well, yeah, rewriting, going mm -hmm. over it and, and and perfecting it as and, and making it the best the best thing that I could. Um, yeah, but it was it was it's really cheesy, but it was my son that inspired me to uh, to, to start writing it. But also Millwall, I love that uh, chapter because you go game by game, and the chapter with Millwall, you're at the game with your dad and also with your nephew Luca. Uh, so how old is Luca That's right. now? Luke, uh, he's 15 now. Ah, so he must have read the um, so book. He, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, he, he was... So, I, like I say, I, I started writing the book and then Bielsa was the one that sort of inspired me to, to make it as good as I could. But actually, it was Luca that um, 
that inspired me to send it off to a, a publisher to, to try and get it published because Luca, he's never re- he's never re- uh, read a book in his whole life. He he, he can't read. Uh, well, sorry, he can read. He doesn't enjoy reading. Oh, uh, I was the know, same at that age. I remember throwing um, The Hobbit across the room and I went off, literally <laughs> went off reading for three years. Yeah. And it's only now that I've right. um, come up with this football library. And by the way, you get your football library card with Marcello Bielsa's face and bucket on it he's obviously wow. sitting on the bucket uh, halo is optional you can draw it in uh, but you are welcome to read tim rich's book the quality of madison any other leeds united book but particularly uh luca can read programs magazines and um he can also if you click on each individual game from the last seasons that you write about in the, your book the youtube footage yeah. will come up because it is a proper oh, hyperlinked library uh, I'm going to get some students to do the grunt work and uh, do the digital copies when I can, when I've got the fun. That's what the funding yeah. will be used for. So if Luca wants to do all the Leeds United stuff, then he is welcome to. Oh, brilliant. Oh, great. No, that's, that's great to know. It sounds, it sounds fantastic, actually. Yeah, I mean, this yeah. is the football library is so essential because we need to bind football history into pages. Just as now... I am about to yeah. have some fun with you and ask you to take me from O'Leary to Bielsa. Oh, God. Because, because I am oh, a Watford okay. fan and I do want to inflict more pain on you, mainly because I think you'll de- crush us 5-0 tomorrow as this goes out, yeah. or tonight if it's been removed from well, TV. So, who took yeah. over from O'Leary? Terry Venables. Venables, uh, yeah. I, I called him uh, very, ter- very Terribles because he was... Horrendous. I mean, he had a good squad, you know. He, they lost Ferdinand and, and Robbie Keane, but actually, they, they, they got Lucas Radovin and Bridges back from injury. You know, they had this fantastic squad still, and, and yet, you know, when he was sacked in March, they were 16th and fighting for their lives. So, yeah, Venables, uh, big no no for me. After Venables, Peter Reid. Uh, so he saved them at the end of that first season after O'Leary with the famous uh, Viduka goal at Highbury that, that won. Man United the league, sadly, uh, but saved Leeds at the same time. Um, and then Reid got sacked the following season after another 6-1 defeat, this time at Portsmouth uh, in November. So we'd made a terrible start to the season. So so Reid got sacked and then Eddie Gray took over and it was down to him to, to try and save us and um, try as he might, he, he couldn't quite pull it off. So then it was down to the championship and in came Kevin Blackwell and Blackwell, to be fair to him, did a decent job, actually, steadying the ship, finished mid-table in the first season. And then in the second season, we got to the final and lost to a brilliant Watford team, uh, inspired by uh, Marlon King and, uh, and A.D. Boothroyd, uh, well, Blackwell's former coach. Of uh, course, I don't think that's yeah. They didn't see eye to eye, actually. They're I think A.D. Boothroyd, uh, yeah, he, he didn't have the kindest words to say about Kevin Blackwell. So then Blackwell, the following season, after a couple of months um, of a bad start, he got sacked and in came um, probably my most hated Leeds manager, Dennis Wise. His son, Uh, Henry, by the way. Henry is a young pro at Watford. Henry Wise, the the kid that Dennis was carrying in his arms. Wow, I didn't know that. But he he might well play against Leeds if he has a good start to the season. So yes, then Wise Wise goes, McAllister comes in briefly, and then you get four seasons of no-nonsense Simon Grayson. (laughs) 
Yeah, I love Grayson. He was incredible, to be honest. And, and he, he, he obviously took us out of League One, but then he would have taken us up again. But uh, Kevin Bates got in the way and wouldn't let him sign his uh, centre-back that he wanted in January. Yeah, and then that all went sour. Um, so now it gets difficult. Uh, so after Grayson was um, Neil Warnock. Uh-huh. Warnock was rubbish, did nothing, um, apart from bringing a load of 30-year-old players on long contracts, all his mates. Uh, after Warnock was um, Brian McDermott, mm-hmm. and he, he was really well-liked at Leeds, actually, but um, you know his, his hands were tied, and McDermott got sacked by Chilino before Chilino had even taken over from the club. There is, yes, the there, club. Is, there is to be yeah. no mention of um, that guy, one of the despicable owners... Who, no. who went through... Yeah, I remember that. He got rid of McDermott even before he'd come in. Yeah, yeah. And then we had to reinstate him on the Monday morning after we'd won. We beat Huddersfield 5-1. And then uh, back came McDermott. Saw that the season. And then he appointed... Uh, God, the youth coach. Uh, Uday Rossler. Hockaday. Oh, yeah. Um, Day. No, yes. How could I forget David Hockaday? How could anyone forget Hockaday? So in came Hockaday, the ex-Forest Green manager who had nearly got them relegated twice from the conference, never managed in the Football League, but then is the Leeds manager, lasted six matches. Uh, then Redfern took over. Uh, oh, no, you've missed one. Oh, you've no, missed one. No, no, Darko Milanic. Very easy to do. Milanic also didn't <laughs> last very long. No, six matches again. Uh, then back to Redfern. He saw out the season, uh, brought through... Calvin Phillips and Mowat, uh, Sam Byron, load of youngsters. Mm-hmm. Really, really good times. Not really good times. But a really good um, period in <laughs> in the darkest times of the club. Uh, you know, looking back on those players coming through was was a was a positive at least. Um, but then he never got the job full time, and that went to Rosler. He lasted more than six games, but not much further than that. After Rosler, it was um, your man. <laughs> we uh, mentioned him. Evans, yeah. Evans, what's his first name? Steve. Steve. I'm really happy that I forgot his first name, actually. <laughs> I imagine anyway, that was Evans. very, very, very functional football under Steve Evans. Uh, I do feel like he's probably got a worse reputation than he deserves. He, he, he used to say the right things. You know, for me, he was never really that bad. It, yeah, it was a club that was in a terrible way. And, and like I say, I mean, all managers' hands were going to be tied under Chilino. But yeah, you, you don't want Steve Evans in charge of your club. After Steve Evans was Monk and Who, Gary Monk are, did, did fantastic. You're to be very honest. kind about Gary Monk. They did do the uh, his Birmingham side did the double over Leeds in that eighteen nineteen yeah. season. So despite the allegations of him and his the director of football being very close, very good captain yeah. at Swansea and has proven himself. Yeah. Is he three or four clubs? He went to Middlesbrough. He may have gone to Preston or somewhere. Uh, Sheffield yeah, Wednesday. He's been out of work for a year. Um, yeah, but has managed in the yeah, Premier League. Uh, yeah, I don't think. I think his career's just completely gone downhill since Leeds. Really, he's never he's never settled anywhere. I think he was was he doing? He, I think he did all right at Birmingham. I mean, he saved them from relegation, um, but then it all went a bit sour. I mean, yeah, in the book, I'm you know, I I was always. I mean, I I thought he was fantastic at Leeds. You know, he really turned the club around. Um, but he left under a cloud. Yeah, he went to Middlesbrough, and you know a lot of Leeds fans. You know they call him a snake. You know, he, you know, saying they just went because he had a bigger transfer budget. I found it quite hard to believe that. But actually, you know, the way his career's gone, and you know, with some of the allegations going around, yeah, I won't, I won't be surprised if that was true. Now, 
But yeah, yeah, I thought he did great at Leeds. I was I was absolutely gutted that he that he left. And after him came uh, Thomas Christiansen, and he, yeah, again he started really well. And I feel like the, you know by then the foundations for what Bielsa has now, you know, they were sort of in place. You know, they started under Monk. You know, he Monk brought in Hernandez. Pontus Janssen, yeah. um, Luke Ayling, um, Dallas was already there. So they had some of the core players already. And, and Christiansen, he started well, but yeah, tailed off pretty badly. And then in the end, gosh, who took over from Christiansen? Paul. Oh, <laughs> uh, Paul Heckingbottom. Uh, yeah, and so Heckingbottom saw out the season in no style whatsoever. And I, I can't say for sure, but I, I'm pretty sure over some length of time whether it was six games I don't think so I think it may be like last 10 games Leeds were the worst team in the championship uh, you know at the back end of that season under Heckingbottom you know the players clearly switched off from him within a few matches you know realised that he wasn't going to be the man for the job and yeah they're just down tools and it was a horrible period those last few months of the season until uh, until the whole world turned around yes. Christ the Redeemer came in. Tell me about the time when half the team refused to travel to Charlton. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, it's a funny story. I, it's a hard one to, to decipher exactly, but yeah, this was a Chilino's first season. So the club was, you know, in complete chaos. Neil Redfern was the manager, caretaker manager, but he'd had all his staff sacked. So Redfern didn't even have an assistant manager. There was no scouts at the club. I mean, the club was a farce and... and I don't know what was going on with the players, but there was basically, as I said, there was these this group of young British players that had come through the academy, who obviously you know had their own little um, clique, and then there was all the foreigners that Chilino had brought in from Serie B, and they you know they were all all in their group, and yeah, six of the the foreigners. I mean, the season was done. You know, they weren't in a relegation battle. It was a dead rubber at Charlton, but yeah, six of them refused to travel. Just like one afternoon, well, Friday afternoon, they just basically went into Redfern and said they were injured and they weren't travelling down um, for the Charlton game, you know, just, just like that. And, yeah, the story goes that, you know, none of them were injured. They were just, they just couldn't be bothered and they were they were making a stand and probably trying to tell Chilean, you know, that, you know, they wanted this manager out because, to be fair to Redfern, he'd gone back to basics. He wasn't playing these substandard players. So, yeah, I mean, these guys... Maybe one or two of them might have been in the team or on the bench, but yeah, probably they weren't going to be in the team anyway. Um, but yeah, it was just very um, symbolic of, of the shambles that the club was, was in at the time. I remember when, I'm, I'm not going to bang on about how it was Leeds 1, Watford 6, uh, Rudy Austin yeah. was injured when you'd made three subs and that was 6-1. Yeah. Even Hayho scored. But one, <laughs> one thing I noticed, apart from the seats being really crap for the away fans at Elland Road, I know you've never sat there, oh, yeah. but the fans... Through it all, there's a hardcore at Leeds United who remember the glory days, and I love the description of them as fiercely passionate, ferociously partisan, and forever loyal. I think Henry Winter would agree that Leeds have some of the best fans in Britain, and you showed that on the European Odyssey 20 years ago. Have you watched Leeds in Europe? Yeah. Uh, I will have done at the time, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, but not not for many, many years, but... Um... But no, I mean, it, yeah, it was an unbelievable period, unforgettable. You can rattle off those names, Martin, Boyer, Woodgate, Radiba, Bridges, Viduka, Kewell. Who am I missing? Yeah. Um, uh, Batty. Kako, Batty, 
did you say Woodgate? Ian Hart. Ian Hart was Ian unbelievable Hart. at the time. King of the free Absolutely kicks. Absolutely incredible. That left foot. Yeah, he, he was. I mean, he scored. I think eleven or twelve goals in that Champions League season. He was. He was just potent. And, and his yeah, his left foot deliveries. I don't know how many assists he got. It wasn't really. Uh, wasn't really talked about at the time. Um, it was only goals and appearances uh, back then. Yeah, phenomenal team. Yeah, you, you, like you say, you, you just really top of tongue. And yeah, you know, in, in the worst times, you know, the, the attendances were down in the low twenty thousands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, through thick and thin, you know, they, they would never, they would, they would never leave them. The other thing you wrote: the ugly wins are pretty to me. I think winning ugly yeah. has been the hallmark of the Bielsa era, which you document in this book. which came out at the beginning of August. We're talking in the week that it's come out. Marcello Bielsa versus. The Damned United. Very interesting you've put verses, because ultimately yeah. he is fighting the past, that era of Leeds, which has statues and obviously Eddie Gray is, uh, wrote, wrote the foreword of your book. He knows what the Damned United era means to the fans who have been going for 50 years, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, when, in his very first press conference, he, you know, he said... He knows as much about Leeds United as as anyone from abroad could know. You know, he obviously he doesn't know them as intrinsically as as the supporters that have lived it their whole lives. He's not, you know, he's not stupid. But yeah, he he'll, he'll have done all his research. He'll he'll know exactly. He'll have known what he was up against and the weight of history. And yeah, that 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 was the reason for the title. You know, it was you know it's Bielsa coming trying to to win against Leeds. You know, for Leeds, but but against them. You know, because it's Leeds that that hold themselves back over the years, you know, with, with, with the pressure and, and this, you know, gypsy curse that apparently was, was bestowed upon us, uh, you know, that Don Revy had to, or tried to have exercise on a couple of occasions, clearly failed miserably. That was the idea of Bielsa trying to, you know, come in here and trying to overcome, you know, all these, all these hurdles that always, always get thrown in our way. And, oh my God. But hang on. Imagine. I mean, one, yeah. There are two books in the football library one is about and one is written by Sergeant Wilco. Howard Wilkinson took Leeds to be the last champions of the old First Division in 1992. It's 30 seasons yeah. since then. I imagine we'll hear a lot of... Certainly Lee Chapman seems to be the most vocal member of that side. But yeah. Howard Wilkinson drafted the blueprint of football, which is also in the football library. So you may be a bit right. too young for Howard Wilkinson's Leeds. But from what your dad's told you and what he's written about in these Facebook posts that I'm going to go off to read once you show me where they are, his weekly Leeds, Leeds, Leeds Facebook posts. Do you think um, that Leeds fans who lived through both eras, so not the modern day fans, the fans who lived through the 92 era, uh, the McAllister, Chapman, Lukic team, uh, which collapsed so spectacularly when the Bass Pack, Bass Pack, a back pass yeah. rule was brought in. I'll leave that in. How, how did they compare the '92 side and the '2022 side? Yeah, it's. I, I, I was around. Uh, so I, I started. I started supporting Leeds. My first match was was February of the year that they won the league um, at home to Luton. Um, so I sort of saw, and then I was a season ticket holder after that. So I, I saw the the shocking collapse. Um, although it wasn't shocking to me because we, had, I think we had the best home record, or certainly the second best. In the whole division, even though we finished seventeenth, we only lost one home game all season to Brian Clough, actually four uh, one uh, to his Forest team that, that finished bottom. It went down. Uh, yeah. yeah so, um, but yeah, I mean that team. I mean it was all about the midfield. You know, McAllister, Strachan, Batty, and Speed. 
it's hard to it's really hard for me to to compare to be honest i mean one of the one of the things i would say that was similar was that howard wilkinson's team in you know in their pomp they used to race out of the blocks you know the first 30 minutes they would try and bombard the opposition a lot of times they would attack the cop in the first half you know probably out of choice to you know to try and try and get into the lead i suppose you know try and try and finish teams off um so there's certainly that you know in terms of the, the high intensity starts but Beyond that, I don't really know. It's a very different style of football because, you know, there were, I mean, firstly, football was very different back then anyway. And, and if we're talking pre-back pass rule, then even even more so. But yeah, I mean, Leeds were all about hitting Chapman um, and feeding off the scraps, you know, speed getting into the box. But then you have got these subtle similarities such as Strachan, um, you know, who was so similar to Pablo Hernandez is just ridiculous. You know, two two right wingers that, you know, dictate the play, you know, that they came to Leeds in the thirties, you know, at the end of their careers, but then, you know, had this incredible Indian summer and played the best football of their lives and, and dragged you know, dragged the team to promotion and then struck and obviously dragged them to the title. I just I just love the way how you know how those two players are so similar. Um in that way, but yeah, apart from that, and, and I suppose there's also the, the fullbacks bombing on. So Wilkinson had um, Sterling and Dorigo bombing down the right and the left. Uh, you know, I mean that was you know Leeds probably Leeds most Leeds goals came from you know crosses into the box from wide areas from the likes of yeah Dorigo mm-hmm. and, and Sterling, obviously Strachan and, and Speed beating um, Chapman. So yeah, there probably is a fair few similarities, but of course the uh, the football itself was very different. I, re- I remember with my first season ticket in ninety two ninety three, I was bang on the halfway line, right at the bottom of the West Stand, and when there was a goal kick or if the goalkeeper had the ball in his hands, the whole twenty two players would be within about you know fifteen yards either side of the halfway line. You know, it's just so bunched up, and it's the complete opposite now. You know completely using the full length and width of the pitch, you know, when the goalkeeper has, uh, has yeah. the ball. So, yeah, difficult to draw comparisons, but yeah, clearly they are there. It's Dave Simpson's book, The Last Champions, which uh, is in the Football Library, yeah. and it's the last time Leeds have won the top division. But you don't need reminding. Interestingly, the first match of the season at Old Trafford, uh, which is next week as we speak, uh, pits the winners of the 92 English Championship against the winners of the 93 English Championship. I wonder if newspapers will go back that far. And it was incredible to know. Uh, Michael Cox wrote about this in his book, The Mixer. Leeds were one of the teams who suffered almost laughably because of the change in the rule. At what stage did you realise um, that the game had changed because of the new rule? Do you, know, I, I, do you know what? I'd have to say... I didn't because because I've only been to three matches, um, you know, in the previous season when when they won the league, and so yeah, my first season really was was when the back pass rule was there. But I, I think the very first match of the season, Leeds played Wimbledon, um, yes. and I'm pretty sure Leeds' first goal was, was a mix up in the Wimbledon defence. You know, the, the defender was about to pass it back to the keeper, and then he realised he couldn't, and Chapman nipped in and, and scored. So yeah, there, there was. Yeah, there, there was a lot of confusion at the time. I remember a, a fair few goals being scored like that. But yeah, I, I couldn't really talk about the difference. I, yeah, I was too young to, to know any different, to be fair. I've just remembered that there is a biography of Don Revy coming out by a Member of Parliament. Let me just look it up. I don't know if you know about this. Okay. 
Don Revie, the definitive biography by Christopher Evans, comes out in October. A player and manager who single-handedly changed the face of English football, but left behind a legacy shrouded in allegations of corruption and dishonesty. Uh, comes out on Bloomsbury Books uh, at the very end of October. So a Christmas present for your Leeds-loving fans. Yeah, that sounds brilliant. Yeah, I, I, that's the thing. I, I mean, I've, obviously, you know, you pick up all sorts of knowledge off, off your parents, off, off fan, the elder fans from from the era, and and then things that you read in in other books, you know, here and there, and 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 whatever literature and what the old players say, you know, you obviously I, I know a lot about Don Revy, but yeah, to actually read a, a dedicated biography would be uh, or will be, yeah, really, really interesting. Looking forward to that. Yeah, the first match of the season also brings Manchester United's Welsh. Reserve winger up against Leeds Welsh international Tyler Roberts. The f- I completely forgot about it, but at the beginning of 2019, you document this in the book. Uh, Dan was all set to sign for Leeds, but uh, Swansea didn't want to release him because they knew Man you were going to come in for him. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was crazy. I mean, the signing was done. You know, he was. He was- he taken his photos with the with, with his shirt and then all sorts recorded his welcome video and, and all that that they do nowadays. And then it just yeah, to to have fallen apart like that was was incredibly cruel and, and I mean we really needed a player like that as well at the time. We had a lot of injuries and yeah, he might have just made made the difference. And I do think that his career would have been better off had he been managed by Bielsa, I think that's pretty certain. But he was so extraordinary at Swansea. He scored that goal. Was yeah. Man City as well? I think it yeah. was Man City in the Cup, yeah. He, he, he would have been an exciting signing. I, I, I was, yeah, I, I was... Yeah, I was really excited when he when it looked like he was coming, but just because he is. I mean, he's a raw talent. I mean, I was surprised that Man U went in for him, you know, because because he is so raw, and he'd only had one season at Swansea, um, barely even a full season as well, I don't think. Um, so, yeah, I was... A big move and you know, very young, young uh, stage of his career. Several things happened in that 2018-19 season, as well as the car park being redesigned. Um, Leeds were top on Christmas Day, but did not go up. Uh, at the end of the season, you note that it seemed unethical that Sheffield United were always playing before Leeds and that the Sky Gods were out yeah. to get you. Do you believe that, looking back? I mean, no one blamed the fixture list for why Leeds didn't go up, but I do think it's unethical. And, and the same thing happened the following season as well. We were made to play after you know all our rivals every single week in the running, uh, and I can understand why they do it. But I'd like to think that the football league could have stepped in and said, "Look, you know, it's not right that one club has to have the pressure of of playing after the other club every single week." Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's. Like I said, it's not, it's not going to be something that we, you know, we're going to look back on and blame for why they didn't go up. But I'd like to, and you do get it. I think when Spurs and Leicester were in the title race, I think Spurs were always having to play after Leicester as well. And yeah, I feel like it should be mixed up. I don't, it doesn't, it doesn't sit right with me. I, I, I do think it, you know, it's like a pen, penalty shootout. You know, no one wants to go second in a penalty shootout. So it is, you know, in a running, it's a similar sort of scenario. But this was the same football league that fined Leeds United £200,000 for doing something that was immoral but not illegal. Yes, yeah. that's correct, yes. It was, uh, yeah, they weren't showing good faith to their, to their dear championship rivals. Um, but yeah, when Swansea let Dan James come up to Ellen Road and basically sign and then just not fax off the sheets 
uh, to complete the deal. That, that wasn't not in good faith. Um, yeah, uh, that Spygate thing was just absolutely bonkers. I mean, you know, the witch hunt that, that came after that. You're uh, right, it, you were totally just... ashamed of our country. Just by that? Yeah. What about all the other crap yeah. that's been going on? Politics has no place in the football library, except it does. But yeah, I, I'm sure that it was motivated by xenophobia. Because if Frank Lampard yeah. had done it, people would be like, ah, clever Frank, stealing some advantage yeah. over dirty leads. But because it was... Do you know what I think? Like, yeah. What I think as well is that because, like, Bielsa had worked magic at Ellen Road, you know, for him to do what he had done... It's like people were like, it was like a Eureka moment. Oh, oh, that's how he's done it. You know, it's it's the spying. That's why Leeds are so good nowadays. You know, it was like they, they found Bielsa's secret out. And this was why Leeds are top, because of spying. And He's you know, a lawyer. A huge what he's done is just, just put together bundles. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just... Yeah, you know, it's just part of part of the the job that he does. It's you know, it, it's and it's not even illegal. You know, that's the thing. I mean, if it had been illegal, then yeah, you know, you punish him and you move on. But yeah, to but for what happened, and I, I guess it was because it was Lampard as well. But and I also think that Lampard, you know, Bielsa embarrassed Lampard. I think that season because. Lampard was taking over a team in Derby who had finished sixth. It was his first job. Bielsa was coming to Leeds who had finished nowhere, had no players. He didn't invest hardly any money, whereas Lampard, you know, he brought in two or three what are now England internationals. And obviously we all know that Derby, you know, well overspent in, in these couple of seasons. Um, and, you know, Derby were, you know, miles behind Leeds. So, yeah, I, I feel like... It was just a perfect storm, really, of, mm-hmm. of everything that this media loves, and you know the fact that it was Leeds against Derby. Yeah, it was. It was just. Yeah, you, you can imagine if it was two other Championship clubs. I mean, it wouldn't even have been a story. And actually, I, I think I'll touch on it later in the book. The semi-final of the Rugby World Cup, um, New Zealand were caught spying on England before the final or the semi-final, mm-hmm. and uh, nothing happened. Nothing came of it whatsoever. Just ludicrous. Yeah. Twice as bad as having standards is having double standards. Uh, I forgot about Sice, who had to return to Spain for family reasons. I forgot about how Leeds had 36 shots against Wigan and lost 2-1. You say Leeds forgot how to play. Oh, and by the way, there's a very easy way to beat Watford. Target the fullbacks. You're welcome. Um, okay. You're not going to have a 4,000 hours of video. Just attack the fullbacks. You'll win the game. It's not hard to beat Watford because we play with attacking fullbacks and we sit one of the three midfielders deep with the back three. Um, but you, again, maybe it's just my pessimism shining through. Do you want to be more pessimistic about yeah. tomorrow as we listen's game against Watford Leeds? Um, I find it hard to be honest. Um, I was always pessimistic in the championship because just because it mattered so much and we just needed to get up. But since uh, being back in the Premier League, I've, I've been sort of happy-go-lucky with it. And maybe by October the first, that will have completely worn off, and I'll be tearing my hair out. Um, but nevertheless, I'm going to predict um, a nice two-nil victory with with Leeds' two wingers uh, both scoring the goals. Yeah, and that is Dallas and. Uh, it'll probably be Rafinha, Rafinha and Harrison as, Rafinha. Long as, uh, as long as they're well fit and well. Yeah, and that is, of course, the gamble that Bielsa has. You're so hard in training, just the injuries that piled up in that first season. Uh, and I was watching yeah. the London Marathon. I was in uh, Canary Wharf watching, it was my brother running that year, 2019, and I was following what was going on, uh, Leeds against Aston Villa. The thing I didn't okay. know is that Stuart Atwell, the great referee 
who was booed off at half-time by both teams in a Watford game because he gave a ghost... Well, a few years ago, he'd given a ghost goal. This was the first time he came oh, back to Watford. Really? Same guy. <laughs> what were the Leeds fans ironically applauding him for doing just before the, it all kicked off in the second half? Yeah, he, uh, he, he tried over to the uh, technical area and booked Bielsa. Because <laughs> uh, I, th- I think it was because... I, I, I found this out at a later date. I think it was because he had... Bielsa's coaches all go into the technical area and they're giving instructions to all the players and you're only allowed, I think, no more than two people in the technical area at once. So they must have been re-offending uh, having three or four people in the technical area. So yeah, he went over and booked him and then on his way back over from booking Bielsa, the whole stadium was on the feet cheering and, ch- and clapping <laughs> as, he, as he made his way back over to the to the actually the, the complete opposite end of the pitch, which yeah just made it all the better because it just lasted that bit longer. It was... Yeah, I absolutely love that. It's just, yeah. you know, we were all absolutely seething and then just, you know, making such such light of it was, uh, yeah, it was a really good moment. And yet that was relegated to third place because um, Villa scored, <laughs> then, oh, sorry, Leeds scored, then Villa scored. Is that the yeah. defining moment of the last three years for you? Just what Bielsa is like? It probably is, to be honest. Um, yeah, now that you you put it like that, I, th- I think it is. I think it is, and and it, it's telling that you know the one player who who didn't want to obey him was sold in the summer, and and he was you know probably or arguably our best player, uh, maybe behind Hernandez in Pontus Janssen. Yeah, he he didn't want to allow it. He tried. I mean, it was a half-hearted attack, attempt at a tackle, but yeah, he he was you know he was arguing the toss. He didn't want to give them a goal and. Uh, and all his teammates, you know, they they were furious with him that he tried to disobey Bielsa, which actually, you know, that shows you how yeah. invested in Bielsa they are, that not only will they give away a goal, but they'll fight with their teammate that doesn't want to give away a goal. And yeah, like you say, it is it is defining. It does say a lot about him as a person and, and about the team. You mentioned it earlier, you touched upon it in terms of the way they play and, and the fairness and I mean, I, that's what I love about Leeds probably more than anything is, is that the players don't roll around on the floor pretending they're hurt. They just get up. Yeah. They just want to play the game, concentrated on, on trying to win and trying to score. They're not trying to get players booked, you know. And, and I think, I like to think that that actually makes a real positive difference, you know, not being, you know, consumed by all this crap that really doesn't matter, you know, whether it's your throwing on the on the corner, you know, the corner flag or not, or, you know, trying to get a player, a fellow professional booked, you know, for nothing. Leeds just want to play and, and I, I think it helps them I think it helps their focus and, and football would just be such a better game if, if all teams played like that I'm not saying Leeds are angels um, you know they're not but Patrick Bamford falling over yeah exactly exactly <laughs> it, it, things, things happen yeah and they do you know Leeds, Leeds players have sinned um, but on the whole you know Leeds, Leeds players want to play the game they just want to get up they want to play football they don't you won't see them rolling around pretending mm. to be hurt, trying to get players injured. Well, you? maybe you really against. Won't. You might see them trying to win a free kick. Maybe against Man U they will. Uh, and if, if they oh, play yeah, Man yeah. City, um, I love your description of Jack Grealish, who's on his way to Man City as we speak, uh, playing the game like American football. Sometimes just complaining and getting a foul. That's yeah, not. That's yeah, not that the way we good. play. No, I mean it, it, it was. I mean because the guys. So, I mean, and I'm, it still annoys me now. I mean, I think he's probably. He's probably getting better, uh, but in that game, certainly, I mean, he would just, yeah, he would just carry the ball, and you, you know that he's got all the ability, you know, in his feet, but 
every time anyone went near him, he would just, you know, he didn't even throw himself to the floor. He'd just throw his hands in the air, look at the ref, and he'd get his free kick. And and, and that was that. But, yeah, it, do, it does frustrate. I mean, I'm, well, not many people would agree, but I just feel like Grealish, I don't, I don't know what the um, obsession is with this, you know, winning free kicks start. I know, you know, free kicks can be dangerous, but... I mean, I want to see Grealish. Well, I don't, <laughs> but I want to see my top players, you know, take someone on and and you know, curl it in the top corner or, or put a chance on the plate for a player, not not run across them and try and win a free kick. I want to see him doing something in the final third. And yeah, for me, I, I can't believe he's going for a hundred million. But um, yeah, let's see him prove me wrong. Well, I suppose if Man U have signed a player for a hundred million, City's dicks are rather detumescent, so they need to. Sorry, that no, I shouldn't go like this. This is that's the wrong way. It's a family show. Dirty leads, dirty leads. Um, second, uh, today uh, is as you listen to this, October first, Leeds against Watford this weekend. May the best team win. Do you remember three nil? Um, I'm conscious, Rocco Dean, that we haven't spoken about the second half of your book because victory is boring. Did it not annoy you that you were... Obviously, it's great that Leeds won and whoop de doo you won the league. But you were writing in real time. Didn't you want the same kind of crisis that you had in the first half of the book when Leeds didn't go up? Even though you say it was all close, the games were very close and it was fine margins. But my my final question to you is what's more fun, writing about failure... And indeed, perhaps the next book you do can be about the Celino Bates era, um, yeah. or writing about success and just marveling every week at this team with Jack Harrison um, becoming a superstar and Yorkshire Calvin Pirlo um, becoming an England international. Yeah. yeah, I would say I think probably writing about failure is uh, is a better story. But I think in terms for Leeds, because it was 16 years and, and we'd waited so long, yeah, I, I, for me, my favourite part of the book is the end, which might sound uh, obvious, but, um, but I, like you say, I do, I do like the, the Derby uh, extract and, and, you know, the, the Wigan one as well, you know, where it went so horribly wrong, knowing how the, the book ends happily, um, I do quite like those, those parts. But, yeah, the, being able to write about the... The way that it ended and, and that exile, you know, coming over and Bielsa finally succeeding and getting Leeds over the line. Uh, no, it means so much to me. And, uh, yeah, to be able to capture that, which I think I've done pretty well. Right. <laughs> it, it, it is, uh, I, I, feel, I feel privileged and honoured to, to have been able to do that and, uh, and hopefully done it justice. But, no, I, yeah, in, in terms of... In terms of this story, writing about the success was was good, but yeah, I think in general, I think people, especially with the writing, if they're reading about Leeds and they're uh, they're a neutral, I'm sure they much prefer the uh, the, the real heartache stories. Despite but to be fair, you know, the, the success was tinged with heartache because we weren't able to be at the matches. Um, you know, so it's like the you know the football gods. You know, they didn't have the last laugh, but you know they were still there chuckling away in the background. You know, Leeds have waited 16 years for this moment, and then they can't even celebrate it properly with the players. It was it was pretty cruel in its own way. Despite running them into the ground for two years solid, the players idolised this man, and afterwards they each spoke about how much they owe to their manager that he improved them. Not only as footballers, but as human beings too. He may not like being called God, but Marcello truly is God-like in his morals, his kindness, his ability to touch people's lives, his press conference parables and his footballing miracles. He had turned the Leeds players from water into wine. He had built a team of champions out of a squad of also-rans without spending a penny in transfers. 
the feeding of the 35,000 with five bread cakes and a double fish from Park Fisheries. Accept the injustice, swallow the poison. In the end, everything finds its balance. You will have the reward you deserve. Marching on together, leads, leads, leads. Do you want to read my... Do you want to do the uh, narration for the audiobook? Um, you've got to have someone with a Leo Denzian accent like uh, Ricky Wilson from <laughs> Kaiser Chiefs or Calvin Phillips. Yeah, I'll get Eddie to do it. Eddie Gray. Oh, yes. Are you sitting comfortably? <laughs> then I'll begin. <laughs> It was 2018, and Leeds United just signed manager. You get Mel B to do it, actually. Um, no, you've got yeah. to get you've got to get Luca to do the audio book, surely. Oh, that's a good shout. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's time, uh, and this audio book can be in people's ears, or people can take the book two matches. It's Marcello Bielsa versus the Damned United out on pitch now, and if any uh, Leeds United fan. Uh, is going to enjoy this season well they can have recourse to the glory days of 2018 1920 uh, where the Bielsa roller coaster twisted and turned as it went to the destination of the Premier League gracias por todos Rocco D bueno Denardo. gracias Johnny <laughs> just like a library just like a library just like a library